Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, just want to take a moment, let you know a couple things that are coming up in our community. Today, Clyde Glass is finishing up our Advent series titled When He Comes Again, the Second Advent, and we're continuing in our December Giving Challenge. We have set the goal of $585,000, and we are trusting that God would bring these funds in. We're asking that each of us would prayerfully consider what we could give over and above our regular giving in this month of December. And again, these funds continue to make ministry possible here at Southview. And so we're incredibly thankful for your ongoing generosity. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here And Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, friends. So glad we can be joined together here and with those joining online as well as we come together again to come and be led by God's word, and let that word lead us to the meal of communion together. And as Brett said, uh, the flow of our worship today, it's, it's going to be a bit different. Because after hearing from God's word, we want to allow for an extended time of worship as we receive communion. And today, I'm going to be inviting you to come forward to receive the bread and cup. And I'll explain a bit later how we will do that. But first, let's come again to God's word in the revelation given by Jesus Christ to John. And remembering as we come to this word that this book is literally titled in the original Greek, the apocalypse given to John. And by apocalypse, not meaning end time destruction, which is how the word apocalypse or apocalyptic is often defined in our day, but rather the original Greek word for apocalypse here, and it's the Greek word apocalypsis, it means to unveil, to reveal, which as we've spoken of already, it again tells us when we read the opening words of this book that this letter is Revelation 1.1, the revelation or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So this book is revealing, it's been unveiling or uncovering the identity and glory of Jesus and his plans. And let me say, if you're interested in digging deeper into Revelation beyond what we've been able to do on our weekends, a great resource for you would this be this book, this study guide called Worthy as a Lamb. It was written by Arlene Bergen, our Arlene Bergen here, who teaches here, along with our pastor, Justine Lofgren, Deanne McCausland as well. It is a great resource to guide you through if you'd like to dig deeper into this book of Revelation to get. 
And, and so with those reminders then, I, I want to pick up today where we left off last weekend in Revelation 21, and where we look then at John's description of what is going to happen at Jesus' second advent, at his second coming. So this week is kind of part two of last weekend's message. And last week, we considered what the life to come, what the afterlife will look like when Jesus comes again. Okay, so why are we given so much focus to that life to come? Shouldn't we be focused more on this life? And for one, we're focusing on the life to come because Scripture and this book of Revelation does precisely that. But also, it's because having a clear grasp of what is to come for us, it changes how we live here and now. It changes us. And, and that's why John shared this vision of what is to come with those seven drifting or persecuted churches in Asia Minor. Because John's intent in this letter, I hope you've noticed this, it wasn't just to write a book about the afterlife. But his intent here was to exhort, to warn, to encourage drifting or persecuted or discouraged Christ followers. Because again, what we believe about the afterlife, it molds our lives now. I mean, it can give us hope and endurance when the struggles, when the temptations, the griefs, burdens, and pains of this life are about to overwhelm us. So we look at the troubles we have in our own lives. I mean, look at the things we're worried about. Look at the pain in our lives. And, and we ask the question, how do we deal with that? And yes, do we tend to crumble? Do we tend to stand faithful? Are we a people of endurance? Are we a people of durability? Because that is what the truths of this book can absolutely deliver when we hold to them, when we rest in them, and when we orient our lives around them. And the thing is, we know from the ancient historical record that this letter did precisely that for those early followers of Jesus who were living in an oftentimes brutal Roman Empire where eventually, ultimately, they would be tortured and killed for being a follower of Jesus. Okay, so let me read again what is ahead for you when Jesus comes again. We're back in Revelation 21. As you hear it, remember, friends, this is a word of God. And John writes, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And, and we noted from chapter 21 here, these two kingdom realities and one of our eternal destiny as resurrected followers of Jesus. And then secondly, we noted last weekend of creation's destiny as what John calls this new heaven and new earth, where we are going to live and reign for eternity with Christ. Because Jesus declares that when he returns, Revelation 21, 5, behold, I am making all things new. So we read this and we think that 
This book begins, it begins in Genesis with creation, and then this book ends in Revelation with that creation made new. Everything made new. Okay, now we also read in Revelation 21 that part of God making all things new includes the new Jerusalem, as it's called. John writes again, this is verse 10 of chapter 21, and the angel carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And we noted there that when Jesus comes again, we don't go up to heaven, but heaven, as John says, comes down to us. God's kingdom will come to earth as it is now in heaven. In fact, John writes back in chapter 5 of Revelation, in chapter 5 and verse 9, he writes in words of praise to Jesus, by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall do what? Reign on the earth. Okay, so we have questions, and maybe you've been wondering, okay, so how then do we fit this picture of us reigning on earth with Christ in the life to come? How do we fit that with, for example, what Jesus says? Because doesn't Jesus say that he's preparing a place for us in heaven? And we'd say that, well, Christ is preparing this new Jerusalem, this new holy city, which is a city which will come down to us on the new, the renewed, transformed earth. And this is how Jesus speaks of that in John chapter 14. This is how Jesus puts John 14 and verse 2 when we read this. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, and that place being the new Jerusalem, which until it descends, the new Jerusalem is in heaven, right? And then he says, I will come again. I'll physically come back here and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Okay, now, so we understand this rightly, that phrase there, take you, that doesn't mean I will take you away. No, in fact, the Greek word there is paralumbano, and that word means I'll receive you. Not I'll take you away, but I'll receive you, I'll draw you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Okay, but then we wonder, but doesn't Scripture also say that when Christ returns, we're going to gather together with Christ in the air. Remember that passage? And Scripture does say that. This is from the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. He writes this, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself, here's what's going to happen. He will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, although we wish Paul had kind of continued on in his description of what is going to take place on that day, he ends this account of Christ's second coming simply with us being in the air with Christ. And then he says, we'll always be with the Lord. So so that can kind of be confusing when we read back in Revelation 21 and 22. Why? Because, for example, I grew up with the image or idea that once we join Jesus in the air, we'll then keep heading up to heaven. You grew up with that idea? But that's not actually what Paul says here, is it? Paul here, at least, he doesn't really get into at all what's next or where our eternal location will be after we meet Jesus in the air. And really, you could say it would make just as much sense to say that after meeting Jesus in the air, we then descend to this new heaven and new earth with Jesus who has been descending from heaven. In fact, one of the images that has been linked with this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 and it's an image anyone in the ancient Roman Empire would understand, it was the image of a returning victorious general. Because in that ancient day, when a conquering Roman leader would arrive back home, leading their great army after victory in battle, the people of the city would rush out of the city to meet the conqueror. And then they would march back into the city accompanying and celebrating with their victorious leader and the army. It's a vivid image, isn't it? And as many biblical scholars suggest, that seems to be the imagery, the picture that Paul wants to envision, us to envision here. But even so, it's interesting and I think should inform our priorities in noting that the specifics of our eternal location isn't the priority for Paul here. Because Paul doesn't even say either way where we go after we meet Jesus in the air. Did you notice that? I mean, at least in this passage, our eventual geographic location isn't that big of a priority for Paul. So what is Paul's priority here? His priority, his focus is that wherever we spend eternity, we'll be with him, with Christ forever. I mean, Paul's emphasis is what John emphasized in our passage last week in Revelation 21. Verse 3 says this, you want to know what it's going to be about? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they'll be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And then John gives this beautiful image of the intimacy with God that we are going to experience. This is how he describes it just a bit later down in chapter 21. In verse 9, he says this, And the angel spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Okay, so this holy city then that will descend, it's a representation, it is a symbol of the bride of the lamb, right? Of the bride of Christ. 
meaning that holy city, it is a symbol of God's people, of the church, the bride of Christ. And, and John then goes on to describe this holy city that is going to descend from heaven. Chapter 21, verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies foursquare. Its length is the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Okay, so two things to note in this passage. For one, in case you didn't catch it, I want you to notice this city is immense, for a city at least. It is 12,000 stadia, which doesn't mean anything to you, does it? That, that's about 1,500 miles in width and length and height. Okay, and just so we have kind of a frame of reference for this, if you, for example, headed about 1,500 miles east from Calgary, that would bring you to the western border of Quebec. Okay, and then if you headed about 1,500 miles south of Calgary, that would take you close to Cabo San Lucas in Mexico, which is where you want to be right now, isn't it? So just picture this. This is a very big city. But even so, that's not nearly big enough to hold all of those across history who are children of God. Okay, so that kind of gives us a clue that the dimensions of the city are likely symbolic, meaning these dimensions are intended to communicate a larger point. Okay, so what's symbolic? What's the symbolism of 12,000 stadia? Well, as we've seen before, the number 12 in the book of Revelation, remember, it's a number that signifies the people of God. Okay, and then the number 1,000, as in 12 times 1,000, that is a number signifying vastness, immensity, grandness. I mean, just as the description of the city is to communicate the grandness and majesty, the vastness of this life to come, that's what's being communicated, the wonder of the city. So, so just try to picture this. This is a new Jerusalem that will come down to earth from heaven. Here's the description, Revelation 21, verse 18. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold. Like clear glass, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. And then he lists the jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald. And on it goes with one jewel after another. Then verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the streets of the city were what? Pure gold, like transparent glass. In other words, you cannot even begin to imagine the beauty, the wonder, the majesty, the glory of what awaits you in the life to come. You cannot even imagine it. But did you catch also that the streets of gold then, they're not up in heaven, are they? This is the only description of that in Scripture. Where are the streets of gold? 
They're in the new Jerusalem, right? That comes down from heaven to earth. Okay, so whether this is a literal or a symbolic description given by John, the streets of gold, they're going to be on earth in this descended city of a new Jerusalem. Again, you cannot even imagine. And then second, I want you to also notice this. This new holy city of Jerusalem is described, did you notice it, as a perfect cube because its length, its width, its height are all equal, right? This is how John puts it in verse 6 of chapter 21, second part of the verse, and he measured the city with his rod. Again, it was 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. That's significant. Why? Well, remember, as we've noted along the way in our study of the book of Revelation, we've noted that the key to understanding this book is the rest of Scripture, right? And especially the Old Testament. Remember that? Well, there is only one other space in all of Scripture that is described as a perfect cube. Only one other space. Remember what it is? It's in 1 Kings 6, and it's the Holy of Holies of Solomon's temple in ancient Jerusalem, which in that case, it was a cube of 20 cubits in width and length and height. And for those that might not know, the Holy of Holies, that was the innermost, the most sacred part in the temple where the awesome presence of God uniquely resided and was manifest there. So take that and realize that the cubical shape of the new Jerusalem then that is declaring that this place will be an eternal holy of holies. It will be a place of God's eternal, intimate presence. Now, think back in ancient Jerusalem. Only the high priest could enter God's presence in the holy of holies, in that temple in Jerusalem. And even then, he could only enter once a year only, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. But now that the Lord Jesus has been slain, John says, and God's people have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, in the blood of Jesus, and all of God's people, including us by faith, have been made priests, we are going to live forever in God's intimate presence in the holy of holies, as it were, without interruption. We will be living in that sacred place. And I want to say, this is one of those places in Scripture where I want you to know, I can't adequately describe this enough. And this is really is where I've been praying, like the Apostle Paul prayed, that by the Holy Spirit, the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened about this. And, and this is how John continues to describe this coming reality. Just try to picture what's being described here. This is chapter 2 now, the second part of verse 3. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in this new Jerusalem, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no need of light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign 
we will reign, beloved, forever and ever. Just unimaginable intimacy with the God of creation. That is your destiny as a follower of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, the thing is, I want you to make sure you see, John's point here is not, so we're just waiting around for heaven now. No. John is even saying here, the church even now, we are an outpost, we are a colony of heaven in this world. That is to be the picture for us. We are an outpost of God's kingdom with the responsibility, as we say in the Lord's Prayer, of really living out God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we know this. We know we're not always great at doing that, are we? But that is God's calling us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, friends, I want you to know this. In in light of what we read here, part of what this is, when we gather like this to worship each week, part of what this is, is that this is to be a reminder for us. It's to be a foreshadowing of what we will be a part of in the life to come. This is to be remindful of us of what's to come. Now, we know this. We know that this kind of pales in comparison to that day when it's not going to just be a few hundred, a few thousand of us gathered, but it will be myriads and myriads, millions upon millions of followers of Jesus joining in praise to our King. But while we wait for that to take place, this each week is to remind you, remember, oh, wait for what is coming. Because again, that hope, it transforms how we live. And friends, that's why I believe that the king, our king says to us in this book, Southview, abandon these when and where committees. Don't be consumed with second coming timelines and predictions. Rather, live out my kingdom now. Share the good news of life with me to those around you in expectation that I will indeed return and there is this eternal kingdom to come. So we ask, how do we receive this eternal living hope? Well, Scripture doesn't say that good people receive the eternal hope. It doesn't say the just or the moral or the honest receive it. Praise God, that isn't the description that's given. So who can receive this hope? Chapter 21, verse 6. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water life without payment. Who can receive this incredible hope? (laughs) The thirsty. Just the thirsty. And you receive it, I receive it without payment, without cost, because... Jesus has paid for it through his cross and resurrection. And so think of this as we come to the end of this wonderful letter that John wrote prompted by Jesus. This entire unusual book of Revelation filled with this apocalyptic imagery and language and scenes that really, they cause us to wonder at times. They cause us even to want to step back from these, don't they? All of this has been leading to the closing words in this letter of invitation. 
All of this book has been leading you, friends. It's been wooing you, encouraging, exhorting you to hear this invitation from Jesus. Chapter 22, verse 17. So the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. So how do you receive this eternal hope in your life? Simply, you come. You come to Jesus. You trust in, follow Jesus. You can call out to God and say, Father, accept me. Would you forgive me? Would you lead me through Jesus? And in that faith, you can then rest. You can orient your life around this hope because Jesus says, in verse 12, our coming king says, behold, I'm coming soon. Amen? So with that hope, friends, are you thirsty for Christ? I mean, while we wait for his return, Jesus says to you again, come. Come to me, as he says, all you who are weak and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. And even says, while you wait, come to my table. Receive from me in this meal. So in light of this eternal hope and this invitation, it, it seems so fitting today that we respond with our worship as we receive communion. And we'll do this a bit different today because I'm going to invite you to come forward physically up here to receive communion as we worship. And if you're wondering, why come forward? Well, God's word, it, it often invites us to express our worship physically. Have you noticed that? And be it by bowing, by kneeling, by raising our hands, or even by walking forward to Jesus, to the table. This is an expression of coming to Jesus. And here's how we'll do it. We're just going to do it row by row today while we worship in song and praise. And I'll invite you just from where you are to move out the left-hand side of your row, if you would. Just come row by row. Come forward. There'll be a number of us gathered here at the front. Come to whoever's in front of you and receive from Jesus in this. And, and when you come to the tray, you'll receive one of those cups, the bread in the cup that we've been using over the past months, and you'll just be guided in receiving it. And then after receiving this, you can return down the right-hand side of your section, if you would, and return to your seat and continue in worship. And as you do that, there are containers at the end of each row. You can put the empty cups in as you come forward. And as we come, we're going to continue reading from Revelation and responding in song in this. And really, if, if you don't feel comfortable for any reason coming forward to receive, then just remain where you are. And as your row empties, then just raise your hand. And one of our ushers will come up to you. They'll give you the tray. You can take one of the cups with you and can receive communion right where you are. And we ask our Father, as we come to the bread and cup, that, Father, we break this bread in faith and hope. We lift this cup, we receive the cup, praying by your Spirit you would feed us with this and place within us a hope that is eternal in Christ. For we come in his name. Amen? Amen. And so I invite your friends and first invite those who are serving to come forward to get the trays and come up. We'll line ourselves up here. And here again, before we begin to receive, and I'll invite you to come, begin coming forward in a moment. 
But be reminded, even as we pray, friends, this is what we wait for. This is what we read in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. And all around the throne, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the 24 elders fell down before him who was seated on the throne and worship him. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so I invite you, friends, as we continue in worship and song, begin coming forward. First row, move out the left-hand side and come and receive before you head back to the right-hand side. Let's worship our King as we wait. song 
tells us the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth.
Revelation 19 says, and then I saw heaven opened, <laughs> and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? Let's pray to him. And to you, our King, we give you thanksgiving and wonder at the plans you have for us. We do not understand at times, O Lord, the way life unfolds. We at times don't understand your ways, but we rest in the wonder, in the reality, in the hope of what you have planned for us. So even this week, lead us out from here by your grace and through your spirit that we might live out this kingdom even now as we wait for its fulfillment when your son returns. This we pray together. And all God's people say, amen. Amen, friends. So glad you could be here today. And do pray you'd walk in this week with this hope and encourage you to come back for the culmination of the season on Christmas Eve. Uh, we have five Christmas Eve gatherings. I hope you can come to one of them. And, and again, in these gatherings, we meet on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Day, we don't meet here. We have an online liturgy you can use for your at-home worship on Christmas Day. But come back, bring friends, as we again celebrate the wonder of who he is, what he's done, and our hope in him. And as you walk in this week, whatever it does hold for you, go with these words of blessing from Revelation 22. Jesus, who testifies these things, says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. In the Aramaic, it's a simple word, Maranatha. Say it with me. Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And walk in that grace.